we're drinking wine. <gasps> yes, we tonight. Are. We because normally it's... we sometimes do, but we normally don't heavily drink. Actually, I think our when first doing our pods. Our first couple episodes, it was like part of the episode, but I think we were super nervous, and it was. And we were sitting in a closet. And when we hung out, we normally, I mean, would get together and have a couple of drinks, anyways. But now, I'm pretty sure I spilt no. wine in your closet like twelve or fourteen times. It was my dad's wine, so it's okay. We haven't been drinking at all, or only having like a glass uh, before our podcast to now. Today, it's our tenth episode. <gasps> That's why we're drinking. Yeah. I nailed it. That was so good. This is our tenth. That so we're celebrating. Right. But I will say because I notice. That after I have a drink or two, I start to slur a little bit, and it's not intentional, and it's not because I'm drunk. I think I just already have you a natural have slur. A sloppy tongue. I have a sloppy tongue. <laughs> so I'm gonna try really hard tonight mm-hmm. to pronunciate because I'm drinking. Pronunciate and enunciate. Oh, okay. Can we just for a second talk about that? This is our tenth episode. That's. I mean, it's not a huge thing, but it's a thing. It's a thing. Okay. We've made it to ten episodes. That means we've been doing this for over Don't 10 weeks. Don't hurt yourself. Certainly over 10 weeks. No, I know. And why would that we hurt do me? Two episodes per week. <laughs> we've done over 20 stories for you guys. Whoa. Like you know math? what? That's, and we're just scratching. That's the almost like algebra, what I just did right there. Your math is clearly bigger than mine. It's it's big, big brain math. <laughs> but if you guys have been with us from day one, thank you. We. We love you. you. And Kezia's wearing her podcast t-shirt. Always. It's the best. And forever. You should post a picture of it sometimes. I, so I, I think know. this time I will. Can you describe it one more time? It's a cat eating a slice of pizza. That's all you need to know. It's fucking rad. Shaboy. Sorry. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Yeah. Your mom and I became friend, friends on Facebook last week. Oh, you know what? Isn't that? And you. I know, Rebecca. So me and my mom was over today. That's a big We deal. were sewing together. I'm very excited. She told me that. Oh, wow. She said, I'm friends with Darla. She showed me something that your mom posted. <laughs> yeah, she's friends with my mom too yeah, now. Yeah, she's like, me it's and Rebecca are friends. I'm like, oh, how are you liking Facebook, mom? She's like, oh, man, it's a time waster. Oh. <laughs> she's... I was like... <laughs> Just figuring this out now. Yeah. Welcome to the party after 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm Kezia. Oh, sorry. I'm Darla. And this is Radio Face Radio Stories. Radio Face Stories. Ooh, that was almost like an echo. Should we try to harmonize? Okay. I'm going low. Radio Face Stories. <gasps> I went way lower than I thought. That looks <laughs> actually pretty cool. <laughs> so last episode we were talking about serial killers one of them in particular named ted bundy i got a text from a friend actually i think i'm gonna say that we got an email from a fan because that sounds way cooler yeah can you rewind that <laughs> yeah so <laughs> we got we have fans fan of the pod do we have any fan mail darla we got our first fan mail <laughs> no way yeah good thing i asked my friend slash our Wait, biggest no, fan not your friend. Remember, we just clarified. I know. This I said fan, not a our friend. biggest fan. No, you said my biggest friend. I said my friend slash actually our biggest fan. We got an email just in email. From oh, wait, 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 wait. Ready? Shh. I'll make the email sound and then you check it. Ready? <laughs> oh, I got an email. <laughs> you better, you better check that, Kez. Darla, I got an email. Oh. <laughs> 
bad. It's and we from- can't. This is what can we I don't. Just, this can is- I just say one thing about my mom today? I was like, Mom, do you yes. listen to the podcast? She's like, you know, we tried. We can't get over the giggling. Her <laughs> and my dad. I was like, oh, I was like, I thought that's why we're here. We're here for the laughs and the jokes. But you know what? Some people are not. My dad, he just wants to hear the facts. I want to know. So, Dad, this podcast is, is not for you. It's not for, for you. you. I'm sorry, Ian. But- Oh, did you get an email? I got an email. I'm going to check my email. Oh, okay, I'm going to let you check this time, but normally we don't do this. Well, this is from, from a fan. <gasps> we got a fan email. Is it our first fan email? It's our first fan email. Well, can you read it on air? Okay, so this goes with our last podcast where we were talking about serial killers, one in particular, Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that we were covering him by any means. We but... definitely mentioned him. So... Susan, we're going to call her, was attending the University of Washington in 1968-1969 and was in the same friend circle as Ted Bundy. She would see him at parties but never talk to him directly. Susan was taking garbage bags out from her ground-level apartment when she was struck over the head with a 2 by 4 knocking her to the ground, and the attacker ran off when she screamed. She had brought the two bags of garbage out separately, and the attack happened on the second bag, so they think he had been watching her the first time she came outside. After the attack, Susan's mom thought it would be a good idea for her to move and have a roommate. Her roommate spotted someone watching Susan multiple times from outside the apartment and called the police. Sorry, just to clear, this is a fan's mom? This is a fan's friend's mom. Oh, a fan's friend's mom. Okay. Yeah, wow. so so someone close to someone that we know. Her roommate <laughs> spotted someone watching Susan multiple times from outside the apartment and called the police. The peeping Tom, in quotations, had been seen more than once. He also escaped when the police arrived. After the, quotations, peeping Tom incidents, Susan's mom thought it would be a good idea for her to go meet their family in Europe. And she stayed there for about a year. Hmm. Ted Bundy has admitted that he first attempted to kidnap a woman in 1969. Similar details to this 1974 crime, Bundy entered the basement apartment of an 18-year-old dancer and student at UW, University of Washington. So, we're thinking you're the friend's mom. So, Ted Bundy, his early stages... Yeah. So what she thinks is that her her mom, the grandma, making yep. her move to Europe saved her life because they he was stalking. They think her. he was stalking her, and he had already attacked her, so he may have come back. Yeah, like that's terrifying. Off. That's so messed up. Right. Right. You gotta always be on your toes, ladies. That's a rad story, actually. Though that's super I know. interesting, How and cool that's is so that? close. Like. Well, a couple people were She was from us. listening to the podcast and then was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen to this cool yeah. fact. I've got you. Cool. I've got a story. Thank you for sharing. Yes, thanks. That's awesome. And please feel free, anybody else, to send us any cool stories you have like that. We will absolutely give it our time and attention mm-hmm. and uh, possibly read it out during, during our episode. Because we're so good at reading. Rock. Wait. Nope. Uh. <laughs> Rock, ready? Rock, Rock paper, paper, Lady Goldie Gaga. Hawn. Goldie Hawn wins that one. I agree. For, I agree. For sure. Fully agree. Becomes her. Man, that movie gave me nightmares as a kid. Yeah. It's such a weird movie. 
Okay, while we're playing games, I have a game for us to play. Ooh, a game in a game. Let me hear it. So I was over at my friend's house the other night, mm-hmm. and we were watching music videos from the 90s, late 90s and 2000s bands, okay? So I made a list of band names that I think are ridiculous. Okay. And we're going to discuss how we think they came up with them. Okay. Okay? I'm ready. First one on the list, Puddle of Mud. Okay, so this kid, future lead singer of Puddle of Mud, (laughs) had his terrifying fear of puddles. And he had to go to therapy to get over this fear where they actually submerged his feet in puddles of mud. And then as he grew, he was able to overcome his fear of puddles. And then in the future, to show his manliness and his conquering of the fear, he named his band Puddle of Mud. Good job. Thank you. I think maybe he was just a piece of shit. (laughs) It is a really dumb name, though. Okay. Ready? Limp Biscuit. (laughs) I think that was pretty self-explanatory. We don't need to explain that one. Next. Corn. It's obviously his favorite vegetable, and he didn't know how to spell yet, so he put the K backwards. Okay, here's another good one. Yep. Moist. Ooh, gross. (laughs) That was like, what word does everybody hate and therefore everybody remembers? Moist. Moist. Say it with me, everybody. Moist. Moist. Swollen members. (laughs) I saw those guys live. I know. That's how terrible they were. They were in Nanaimo playing live. Okay, here's a good one, Dar. Sum 41. Okay, that's the perfect name because maybe they're mathematicians. Who knows? Like, they like math. What equation is the sum of 41? That's like algebra or some shit. I don't know. Do you think it's a secret? I think it's all their ages added together. I just thought of that right now. Is there two guys or three? There's like four. There's Brown Sound, there's Cone, there's the lead okay, singer, so and then one other what, dude. They were five years old? They what were is 10 when they made it? Okay, there's three of them. So they were 15. Yeah, when they started their band. Were they? Sure. Some 41. Google it. Never mind. We don't have that kind of time. What's um, next? Alien Ant Farm. <gasps> Do you remember? I liked them. AAF. They just did the cover of Michael Jackson. That's all I know. Smooth coming off. That's right. We have. Um, are we sure that you guys aren't here anymore? But that's okay because this one's thanks for, us. for the one person that's possibly still listening. Um. Well, that's that was yeah. We did it. That was. I, I mean, unless there's other. No, ones we <laughs> we didn't do it. Oh, we did a game. Good game. That was a good game. Cause um, yeah, I know. A plus for you, dude. All right, sweet. Let's have a cheers and then let's RPS this. And we're not RPC. It's RPS this time. Okay. What's RPC? Kezia. Rock, paper, celebrity? Yeah. One more. Okay. Oh, God. You choose, boy or girl? Um, boy. Rock, Rock paper, paper Will Tim Smith. Allen. You win. 
No, Will Smith is way cooler than Tim Allen. Tim Allen's pretty cool. He's Home tool improvement? Time. Tool time. So Tim a, the Tool Man Taylor. I'm sorry, is that perhaps a tie then? Buzz Lightyear? Tie. Tie. We have to do another dude then. Okay. Rock, rock paper, paper, Tom Hanks. Gear. Oh. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Tom Hanks is a freaking legend. Dude, he is a legend. He is. He survived He is a good man. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors. Just real? For real, real. Rock, rock paper, paper, scissors. scissors. Here we rock, go. Rock, paper, scissors. scissors. Shit. won. Rock, paper, scissors. Slice. You win. Slits. <laughs> Kezia won that one. Um, um, my mom told me that she only makes it through one episode, so whoever wins rock, paper, scissors, that's who she hears. So, mom, enjoy Kezia's story. <laughs> this one's for you, Bon Bon. <laughs> she hates oh. being called by that, that, by the way. Oh, does you she? You can call her Bernard. Bernard. Or Bonnie, or Bre- her name. Or Brennard. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard your flight. Tonight's <laughs> episode, we will be discussing Tomo Antoine, also known as Thomas Anthony. His Iroquois name was Tomo Antoine, but his official Hudson Bay Company white man's name was Thomas William Anthony. So, like, the white people gave him that name? Yeah. Or he used that name to get a job? I think it was both. He was born in Fort Astoria, Oregon State. His name is in many expedition journals, news articles, and Hudson Bay Company documents. Tomo. Wait, wait, wait. Where have we heard this person's name before? In our, my last story. He was the one-armed man. Oh, right. Yes. In that That's episode, funny. I said one-armed Toma, but that as was one of his names. So he was called Tomo, Tomao, Tolmi, and William. But mostly was recognized as Tomo Antoine. Tomo. I'm glad we have clarified <laughs> what his name is officially. It is Tomo. Tomo. Tomo's father was mm. a French Iroquois Métis who was killed in an ambush. His mother was an attractive Chinook First Nations maiden from her ruling class of the Columbia River, and she gave birth to him in 1823. He grew up under the protection of the Hudson Bay Company. His father worked for them. But his mother's people took him from the fort from time to time so he could learn the Aboriginal ways. He became a leader amongst the children. He mostly spoke Chinook but he could switch between any dialects without any hesitation. I'm sorry, but that's really cool. I know. Yeah. He realized he had an aptitude for languages and was employed by the Hudson Bay Company as an interpreter. This aptitude for language was recognized by many Hudson Bay Company senior officials. He was very intelligent, loyal, and unusually strong. Like physically? Physically, yes. He was moody, quick to take offense, was a very good liar, and had an explosive temper. Shortly after Fort Victoria was found in 1843, Tomo started to spy on the unknown Chimanus and Cowichan country for James Douglas of the Hudson Bay Company. So he was James Douglas kind of like right-hand man. This guy like this guy loved him. According to Aboriginal lore, he masqueraded around as Hilt, son of the sun. He told all the Aboriginals to do what he says because he can do magic, and he was going to be the big chief of all the men in the region. And that's all it took back then was being like, I can do magic, 
that's it. And now everybody's afraid of me. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. It's unlikely that James Douglas was completely unaware of what was going on, but the information Tomo brought in was very well received. Tomo couldn't read nor write, but he could draw a pretty accurate map of the areas he had traversed. And he could also give names and locations and numerical strengths of other Aboriginal bands and describe... <laughs> no. You did it again. No, delete that. For real. It's okay. just... Who I'm you sorry. are now. I've tried to like. You're the burp interrupter. You're, you know yeah, that but... movie Girl Interrupted? I'm... You are now burp interrupter. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great movie. I'm sorry. So this white guy, yeah, James Douglas, mm-hmm. took a liking to him. He was his like wingman. And Tomo was, would do anything for him. He showed dog-like devotion to James Douglas and would take any risk for him. He idolized men that worked in positions of responsibility in the colonial government. So he looked up to basically, you know, white men with power. Right. No other men, white or Aboriginal, heard the truth about him or earned his respect. So I don't think he was very popular amongst Aboriginal men, but... It almost seems like he was like a sellout. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? He basically was, yeah. Right. In November of 1852, Tomo became part of a manhunt for the murder of Peter Brown who was a shepherd at the Saanich Sheep Station. Two aboriginals from the Cowichan area were the suspects. James Douglas was determined to stop this kind of outrage becoming a habit amongst the already troubled Cowichan, so he formed the first militia force on Vancouver Island. They were named the Victoria Voltigiers. That's a badass-sounding name, really. Voltigiers! <laughs> <laughs> Tomo played an important role in this force. The grown-up Métis kids from Tomo's childhood made up most of this unit, and they were able to operate in the wild and untracked land because they knew it very well. The two fugitives were captured two months after the manhunt and both sentenced to death at today's Gallows Point on Protection Island. Nice, yeah. Which is right over there. <laughs> right over there. Right over there. In May 1856, he joined an expedition organized by Adam Horn, who I believe Horn Lake's named after. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Because he was like an early settler on Vancouver Island. He became the first white man to record the crossing of Vancouver Island and established a trade route to the First Nations villages on the Alberni Inlet. There was hardly ever an expedition on Vancouver Island in those days that didn't include Tomo. With him there, you knew it would be successful, and troublesome incidents with other Aboriginals would be avoided. On August 21st, 1856, a young Aboriginal man named Tathlisset, the son of a chief, was jealous of Tomo's interest in his intended bride, and he ambushed and shot Tomo through his left arm and chest. He was in critical condition and brought to Victoria. In order to save his life, they had to amputate his arm. Oh, shit. And this ended his relationship with the Aboriginal bands. This angered James Douglas, who loved him, and another manhunt ensued, and the suspect, the guy that shot him, was captured and hanged from a tree in Cowichan Bay. Tomo became weathered from this, and he fled into the wilderness to heal on his own and regain his strength. So, But he was one-armed now. He's one-armed, yeah, and I guess he didn't want to be seen as, like, weak and stuff. Right. So he basically ran, ran into, the, a classic male. into the bush and healed. <laughs> yeah, right? A wounded animal. Don't 
let anybody don't see show weakness. My weakness. Yeah. <laughs> he finally returned to Victoria, where he regained his shitty attitude, <laughs> and was ready to continue to help the settlers who he despised. But he helped them open Vancouver Island. In 1861, Tomo had married a woman named Sina Toa, believed to have been called Jane. She was the daughter of Old Joe, a chief of the tiny village of Tatka. His name was Old Joe? Yeah. That is the coolest dad name ever. Right? I think, well, that's the name the white men gave him. Old Joe. But still. Like, he was the oldest person there, so you're like, you know what? That's Joe, but you're Old Joe. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's cool. He was probably a really wise old man. You think so? Oh, yeah. A chief? Yeah. Named Old Joe? He was wise as fuck. I would fucking totally befriend a, a dude named Old Joe. Yeah. I'm cool with that. In 1863, Tomo's wife Jane Anthony was found dead near their home after a drinking party with her husband. Twist ending. Mm-hmm. The jury of white men came to the verdict that the murder was by persons unknown. But one of the aboriginal men had described he'd seen Tomo struck her down, knelt on her shoulders, and then ripped her head back until her neck snapped. Oh my god, what the, what's his fucking problem? He had a temper. He had a temper problem. Tomo denied these allegations, but was imprisoned to await trial for the murder. He was behind bars for almost two months, and then he got discharged for lack of evidence, but he was branded as a murderer by the public. So... There wasn't enough evidence, but nobody already liked this dude, and so now they're like, okay, this dude is creepy, mean, and he's murdered. The magistrate would bring him back again if they knew, if new evidence had turned up, but it never did. So, did he or did he not kill No, he fucking did it. The husband always did it. (laughs) Guilty. In 1864, he joined the Vancouver Island Exploring Expedition, led by Robert Brown. Last week when I talked about Forbidden Plateau, yeah. Robert Brown led yep. the Victoria Island Exploring Expedition. Bye. Bye. Brown had heard stories of Tomo, good and bad, but he still brought him along for his skills and knowledge of the wilderness. He was paid a whopping dollar fifty a day, which in today's Monday is around sixteen sixty five an hour, as a hunter, a guide, and a canoe man. But remember that he's a one armed canoe man. This Dude. guy could fuck up a canoe <laughs> row with one arm. Dude, the Def Leppard drummer had one arm and he could drum. Yeah, it, so it did not do stop. Shit. Yeah, it doesn't nope. shouldn't stop. Yeah, so his behavior was good on this expedition except for one occasion where he got very drunk and became violent and had to be subdued. Did he try to break someone's neck by any chance? It doesn't say. Oh, he probably did. Continue. (laughs) But nevertheless, he was really good at his job. He always provided fresh meat. He interpreted the different dialects. And he intimidated other Aboriginal men along the way into peaceful cooperation. He was really good at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like m- him being scary, murder, not, whatever, 
He's probably a guy you want on your side. You know what? I'm still definitely not Team Tomo. So Robert Brown published much of the Aboriginal lore that he had learned from Tomo. It's said that at age 45, the legendary Tomo became deaf and that his eyesight started to go. And this excelled his addiction to, in quotations, fire water. That's Is that they, whiskey? That's what they called alcohol. Uh-huh. Yep. Could be whiskey. Yeah. Makes sense. He had no friends to protect him, and he had countless enemies. One day, his cabin door hung open, his ashes and his fire were cold, and he was not there. He had died somewhere between July 1868 and March 1870. The aboriginals had believed that Tomo, the evil one, they called him, was dead and had good reason for being so happy about it. There's no image of Tomo, just a remembrance of him as a curious hybrid whose personality was a mix of the worst and the best of three essential things. He was envied, feared, and despised by those that knew him. Fifteen years after the expedition, Robert Brown had wrote this. During all our long connections, none of us had ever reason to regret the day when he joined our party. And to this hour, one-armed Tomo, the swarthy vagabond of the western forest, it's only remembered as a hardy fellow, prince of hunters and doctor of all woodcraft, whose single arm was worth more than most men's too, and without whose help the map of Vancouver would have been but a sorry blanket yet, and the first exploring expedition a forgotten affair. And that is the story of Warnarm Tomo, the man, the legend. I have a question. Did they admire him or did they use him? I think Robert Brown definitely enjoyed spending time with him. He learned a lot from him. And if we ever read the Robert Brown and the Exploring Expedition mm-hmm. book, Which we probably should. Which we should. I think he talks a lot about Tomo because he was very intrigued about this man and his knowledge and essentially he passed his knowledge on to this guy who wrote books about it and he even said in my in my story last week is he was worried that these kinds of stories would not be carried down through generations and I think that's a really cool thing to care about because you know yeah white people settle and then they come and they you know they take over and they do their thing and then what happens to the culture well yeah it it dies away so I think it's important that you know for people like him that spent time with aboriginals to you know see honor their side honor their side of the story exactly yeah I have a hard time trusting powerful white dudes in history because they've basically not done the right they thing. could have re- they could have written anything they wanted and they would be suck. perceived as history oh for sure great what? story do you have references i or? do have references um it's from a website called leechtownhistory.ca a v-i-e-e biography actually thank you there's a couple e's thank you for the exploring expedition i love it dude guess what <sighs> it's midnight <laughs> it's midnight and it's also okay. break time sick hi It's Rebecca from Radio Face Stories. Thank you all so much for the enormous amount of fan mail we've been getting this week. We've had emails, text messages, phone calls. Darla got a letter, 
an actual posted letter. Thank you. In particular, however, this week, our shout out goes to Chelsea, our friend, our fam, our friend fam, for getting in touch about her story. Thanks so much, Chelsea. Enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Hi. It is my turn. We're still here. We are here. You're probably not. Part two. No, there's nobody. You're literally just telling me that you're sorry now. Honestly, I don't, I don't know. That. What? You're just telling the two of us the story now. No one's still listening. That's if you're cool. still listening, I love you. I'm going to tell you a little story called This is, I'm okay if it's just you two because this story is a gem. So I'm doing this story. Uh, have you heard of Ross Bay Cemetery? No. No? Two no's? It's in Victoria. Ross Bay Cemetery. My story is on Ross Bay Cemetery and more specifically Isabella Ross. Guys, have you heard of Isabella Ross? I have not. Isabella Ross is a queen. The lady is a badass. Like Diana Ross? Queen? No, she is so much better than Diana Ross. Like Queen Ross. Elizabeth Queen? Nope, even better than her. Ooh. Like Queen Latifah Queen? Queen Latifah. Wow. Anybody else? <laughs> queen Mattress Queen? Like a Queen Mattress. Oh, oh, it's way better than Queen Mattress. What about a queen size sheet? Nope, better than that. Okay. Proceed. Mm. Thanks, guys. So, Ross Bay Cemetery, located in Victoria, it's about 27 and a half acres of land. Rebecca, how many football fields is that? 42. Thank you, man. 42 fields. You <laughs> heard that here first. So, it's on the south the south side of Ross Bay Cemetery faces the Pacific Ocean. So, this place is actually a beautiful place. It's a cemetery, but it's gorgeous. It has ocean view, and it's amazing. Um, it opened in 1873, and it was – did you hear that? I'm not the only Burpee McBurperson here. Thank you, Kezia, for that lovely rendition of your previous beverage. Why are you hiding away from your I purpose? may have done that on purpose. That's rude. Just kidding. Okay. So Ross Bay Cemetery opened in 1873, and it happens to be named after the owner of the land. Ross? Ross, yeah. Isabella Mainville. From Friends? Ross. <laughs> Isabella Ross. From Friends? You guys are going to literally ruin the story. <laughs> oh, welcome oh, back oh, to remember, remember My Story with Kez. Hey, hey welcome back to Remember When I Was Telling My Story with Kez. I asked genuinely good questions. You're, no, just, you're just being a dick. No, dude. Rebecca, Rebecca, hi. I hope when you hear this later and you have to edit all this shit out, you remember the jokes you're making because you're going to have to edit all this shit I'm out. I'm sorry I won't do it anymore. Liar. No, I actually am. A little bit more respectful. So, Ross Bay Cemetery opened in 1873. It's named after the owner of the land. Her name was Isabella Mainville Ross. She was the first registered independent woman landowner in BC, which is fucking dope. Yes. Right? I concur. Yes. That is dope. She was also indigenous. Uh, she was Anishinaabe and French Metis woman. So, it was a huge deal. That it was is a remarkable badass. accomplishment. In that time, which was just, yeah, she was paving the way. She was a good woman. Also, she was a mother of nine children. Excuse me? I'm sorry. So, respect, and I need a t-shirt. I need all the things. Because I'm you team. know what it's like to give birth to three. Three. Nine? <laughs> and you're the first landowner? Like, okay, but wait, get out why? of here. She just was single? I will. Let me continue my okay. story. Stop being such an eager beaver. I just want to know more about Okay. So, she was married. Her husband, Charles Ross, was a fur trader. He was a clerk for the HBC, the Hudson Bay Company, as we know. So the whole family moved all over Canada. So her and the children and her husband followed him around for his work. 
Her husband traveled also for work, so often Isabella would assume her husband's role as a trader while he was away. Her husband is quoted as saying, Isabella was not fitted to shine at the head of a nobleman's table. Same. I mean, yeah. I feel like samesies. Samesies. So she basically like held her own and did a dude's work and just ran the family and did everything all wow. the time. So she is a queen. Yeah. In 1844, Charles passed away. And by 1854, Isabella moved to Fort Victoria where she promptly bought 99 acres of land. That is, okay, excuse me. That so is she just is like rolled into Fort Victoria and she's like, you know what? I feel like I need to do like a little stress shopping, a little retail <laughs> therapy. I'm going to buy all that land right there. 99 acres is mine. 99 no acres. No big deal. 100 is too much. How many football fields is that, much. Rebecca? That is 3,000 football fields, my friends. And she turned the land into a farm, which she named Fowl Bay Farm. So, unfortunately, she did pass away. Mm. Passed away April 23rd, 1885, at 77 years old. That's, That's a, a pretty good run. It is a good run. So the Ross Bay Cemetery opened in 1873. So what happened was, it was a public park. So the city of Victoria actually bought 27 acres of off of her because they had no no other place to bury they had not enough cemeteries for people that were dying at that time they wanted to build a cemetery in james bay the people of james bay were like oh no no no, we don't want your dead <laughs> no 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 so no. they bought some land off of isabella and they built a cemetery in 1873 the cemetery is like it's old school it's victorian style it has elaborate um, mausoleums and like pillars and it's super duper fancy the cemetery has nearly 30,000 graves what whoa okay that's a lot of dead so in on all these graves there was some super elite folk of the time i'm going to list off a few of those the first one being billy barker you're probably not going to know that guy but he happened to be a prospector and i just added him because i wanted to say prospector <laughs> It's a prospector. That's a dope job. I know, right? Old All I think of is that Saturday Old Gus Jiggins? <laughs> it's a prospector. Old Gus Jiggins. I'd be more worried about coyotes if I were you. That's the only reason I put him in the list. He's a prospector. The rest were people such as Sir Matthew Begbie, who was the first chief justice of BC, also known as the Hanging Judge, which we have spoken about before Whoa, in one of our yeah. podcasts. Emily Carr, the painter. No way. Sir, Sir James Douglas, James Dunsmere, Robert Dunsmore. Whoa, James Douglas found my story? Yeah, buds. This cemetery has all those old school important peeps are buried there. Oh. Lots of premiers of BC are buried there. There's American important Americans that are buried there. The cemetery contains also the graves of 135 Commonwealth service personnel wow. from World War One and World War Two. Okay, we so have to go super there. duper important we peeps. We can't not not go no, there. No, we can't. So there's tons of ghost sightings and stories that occur when people have visited the cemetery, such as hearing whispers, apparitions of an elderly couple are common. Um, someone has actually reported seeing a horse and carriage, like that are it's pulling a hearse, and this hearse, <laughs> as they pull it, it's making no sound, and then it just disappeared. And I mean, this it has like little winding trails where the carriages would pull the hearse or the horse would pull the hearses through. Weird. Yeah, um, they can smell. People notice smelling cigar smoke when they're standing in the cemetery. They hear the sound of either feet or dragging or a body being dragged. And the creepiest Wait, part. Wait, how do you? 
how can you just classify a sound as a body being dragged? I don't know. I feel like if I imagine the sound of a body being dragged over ground, I could I could imagine what that would sound like to me. Couldn't it just be like a bag of laundry? Yeah, but obviously they're looking. Does that not seem weirder? If you're standing in a cemetery and you're like, oh, goodness, who's dragging their laundry around? No, That's almost you fucking don't... weirder than hearing a body, a ghost body being dragged. You're just hearing something being okay. dragged. Right. But if you're standing at a cemetery, you're at your fucking great-great-grandma Elda, her grave. Myrtle. Myrtle's. Fertile Myrtle's grave. And you hear a sound. Why is she fertile? Because it rhymes and it's funny. So you hear a sound and you look around. Obviously no one's, oh, it's okay, guys. It's just Joseph. He's taking his laundry <laughs> through the through the cemetery over there to the laundromat. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Clearly, it's a ghost. <laughs> so, there is two apparitions, two spirits that are said to haunt this cemetery. Now, there was an interview I watched from a historian in the area who said, actually, ghosts don't often haunt cemeteries. They haunt areas where there is, you know, like trauma or unrest their cemetery like, the cemeteries where they would die essentially. yeah the cemetery is where they're laid to rest that's not mm-hmm. a place they typically haunt mm-hmm. however ross bay cemetery is known to be haunted by isabella ross the lady Whoa. that owned that land okay and guys i have the creepiest photo of her really? of what she looked like when she was alive she was why creepy. is it creepy because her f- she looks creepy then this is when she was alive, so I can't imagine what she looks like as a ghost. Because alive, she's terrifying looking. But it's because she's a boss. She had to do her shit. You Does that what? mean like she's all stern. boss ladies are terrifying looking? I mean, when they need to be, yeah, absolutely. I hope I go down looking terrifying. I want to put the fear into all the people. Put it in them, Darla. That's tell right. them. I want put the fear in them. I hope it's already there. Not only Isabella Ross haunts that cemetery, but a man named David Fee. So I'm going to m- tell you who this poor man is. David Fee was a lovely 28-year-old man. He was known to be a super-duper delightful dude. He was a volunteer. He was kind. He was a firefighter. He was actually from Nanaimo. Oh. And in 1890, he traveled to Victoria to spend Christmas with his parents. I have a question. Yes, do you think he had to pay a fee to go there? Are you are you done? You feel good about that one? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry, David. She's super rude. So, David Fee, he travels uh, Christmas Eve, 1890, to Victoria to spend Christmas, Eve, Christmas with his family, his parents, and they attended a Catholic church. Uh, Christmas Eve for some sort of ceremony. Mm-hmm. And uh, that night he was shot Whoa. outside the church after singing Christmas carols. He was sh- Randomly? Randomly. He was shot at such a close range that the gunpowder burned his flesh. There was gunpowder traces, burns all over him. Um, it was supposed to be a planned political murder of some sort, but they just got the wrong guy. Whoa. Totally innocent. And he is said to also haunt Ross Bay Cemetery, which was close to that church. I guess you could say he paid the ultimate fee. So Ross Bay Cemetery is actually... Access to the cemetery is forbidden after dark. Oh, yeah. really? You cannot do that. But can, so, can you get in there? 
Well, I have that. heard that it's actually super easy to sneak in there, but you are not supposed to ac- access there after dusk, is what it says. Because of the hauntings. So most of these paranormal experiences happen in the day. Oh. Yeah. These, yeah. So can you, let's just, that, that begs the question, what happens at night, you guys? If all this shit happens in the daytime, what does a nighttime in Ross Bay Cemetery look like? That sounds like a great time. We should go there. I feel like we need to investigate that. Also, this is a side note. So that's that's basically the end of this little story. But there was a couple small tangents I went on, and I didn't I didn't dig too deep in them. But there was a book called Michelle Remembers. Now, this book was written by it was in the, in the 1980s. It was a book by a psychiatrist and the patient. So they kind of co-wrote a story together, and it was actually a psychiatrist and a patient that later became his wife. And they wrote this book about how she, a true story supposedly, um, suffered satanic ritual abuse Hmm? at the hands of people from the Church of Satan. Bear with me. So this, and she was a child. Mm -hmm. And she has all these stories of all this horrific abuse. And a lot of her abuse occurred at the Ross Bay Cemetery in a mausoleum where all these rituals occurred. So there's a, there's a book. You can buy the book off Amazon and read all about her true story. It has now been debunked that it's all false. Wait, so she would go to the cemetery in this she, in her Yeah, in her story, she was taken as a child to the cemetery, and these satanic oh, rituals okay. would be performed on her, and she was abused in that cemetery repeatedly um, by Satan worshippers. Um, but like I said, it was all proved to be debunked, I believe. Um, but that is a book you could look up and read yourself and make your own decisions. It's called Michelle Remembers. Creepy. Yeah. And I've, I also started to read that there's these tunnels under, there's a lot of tunnel systems underneath in Victoria and a lot of them run under Ross Bay Cemetery. And so there was a whole thing of satanic rituals and pentagrams and tunnels underneath the cemetery that I didn't even touch on. Because it was like, it was getting into a whole different thing. But I focus on the ghost story and the woman herself. I'm sorry, Isabella Ross, even if she's a ghost that haunts that place, I feel like she's doing it for good reasons. Mm -hmm. She's like, no one's going to F up this space. Mm -hmm. She's just guarding her land. And she's a badass. Yeah. Absolutely. So I got my information from Wikipedia, victoriabc.ca, tourismvictoria.com bcctvnews.ca, and capitaldaily.ca. And that is the story of Ross Bay Cemetery in Victoria, another place we need to go. Freaking rad, bro. Okay, so... That was cool. I like that. I like you. haunting stories. I, like I do too. Shit. I like I local go... haunted stuff. I like... Okay, guys, I love... Wait. Okay, just hear me out. Okay. I love haunted things. I love these stories. I want to see... A freaking ghost. Why? I think you'd be very terrified. I don't even care. I just want to see something. I'm the first one to go with you into a Ross okay, Bay Cemetery okay, night. Okay, but but remember when we went, me and Darla went to a cemetery in Nanaimo? We did. We went to a cemetery last weekend that's located on McClary Street in Nanaimo. Um, it's right by a giant church. And uh, we were able to locate the grave of Samuel Myers, who was a man that passed away in the Nanaimo number one mine explosion, which we did in a previous episode. And it was actually really rad to find actually find his headstone mm-hmm. and it was hard to find. 
it was hard to find. Those are it was hard to read. They're, they're so them, old. They're so old, yeah. And faded, and there's moss growing over them. But fortunately, Kezia actually was the one that deciphered it, and uh, we got some pictures of it, and we got some other real cool photos of that cemetery. Mm-hmm. It was really neat just to be in that space. Um, yeah. It's not a large cemetery. Um, I didn't feel creeped out in any way. Not Did one you? bit. No. Not even and it one was dark. It was darkish. It was dusk. We went at dusk um, just to get some good photos. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I felt it was just way. super interesting to be there. Other well, like your Daryl has a. I think it was a TikTok TikTok filter on your phone. I we that, did okay. Yeah, hey. but but I wouldn't trust it. No, because it's TikTok. But it did pick up on some. Some spirits or something, entities in in the cemetery. And even then, like normally I'd be like, oh my, is there something there? But I didn't, I didn't feel that there was something there. But it was definitely like spooky. So this TikTok filter, again, like she said, it's TikTok. It's supposed to pick up on live energy. So it picks up like us if we move or any other, any other person. And then it automatically, when we scanned the cemetery with this, it picked up, there was like a carving, a, a carving statue. Mm-hmm. So it picked up energy from that. And then it picked up energy from this tree. And so we, we decided at that point, oh, it's just picking up those because they're large. They were quite large. But oddly enough, when we went closer to the tree, because we're like, oh, it's just a tree. It wasn't. This tree grew out of a grave. So it had like a headstone like in yeah. right in the, the tree almost, the and tree it stump. Was, it was actually, it was a holly bush. Right. And I have never seen a holly bush that big before in my life. No, it was life. massive. It was and it, it was the size of a tree. Yeah. It was huge. And it also picked up some sort of energy from it. So yeah. we'll post those pics and, and perhaps we'll post the videos of that trip. It was really fun, though. And we will be doing more uh, trips like that um, to some of the places we've done stories on mm-hmm. in the near future when we can. Thanks, guys. Thanks th- for sticking with us. I think that's the end for us. Yeah. Um, we'll talk to you guys next week. Sounds good. Okay, Goodbye. Bye.